Morning, Happy New Year. Um, we are reading this morning from Matthew chapter 2, verses 13 to the end of the chapter. And if you're following along in the Church Bibles, you'll find it on page 966. Matthew 2, verse 13. When the Magi had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt, I called my son. When Herod realised that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and in its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel, for those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets, that he would be called a Nazarene. Uh, good morning, everyone. Nice to see you all. Uh, if you don't know me, I'm Sam, one of the pastors here. Uh, I've just put Alan in charge of PowerPoint. Sorry, Alan. Tim, Tim went off to run a Sunday school class, and uh, it, it's, it's self-explanatory. And if it's not, don't pay any attention to what's behind me. Uh, let me pray as uh, we look through this passage. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you for uh, the joy of Christmas that we've uh, remembered and celebrated over the last uh, couple of weeks. We praise you for the Lord Jesus, that he comes uh, to bring peace and joy. And we pray now as we begin our new year, we pray that you would speak to us again by your word. Pray that you'd show us your great love. We pray that you'd show us particularly this morning from this passage that Jesus is the fulfillment of all that we need. And we pray that uh, whether we have followed you for decades, whether we perhaps don't even know who you are, we pray that today you'd remind us of your great love and uh, truth and the hope we have in Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, well, three times uh, in this short passage, uh, we're reminded that... Uh, sorry, I'm on the wrong, uh, wrong page. Probably helps if... Uh, I'm on the right page. 
good start to the new year. Uh, we're reminded that uh, Jesus, in some way, something about his life or his birth, his, 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 uh, who he is, fulfills the prophets of the Old Testament. Uh, it comes up three times. Uh, now, we know the story well, don't we? I think probably all of us know the Nativity story, the Magi, uh, Herod. Uh, but I wonder if sometimes we miss the significance of what Matthew here in this book wants to tell us from this particular passage. There isn't a great emphasis on Herod or uh, the massacre of the babies. There's an emphasis on Jesus fulfilling the Old Testament prophets. Uh, so we know the story, don't we? The Magi came from the east following a star that they believed to be a sign from God that the king was to be born to the Jews or, or to the Israelites. Uh, they stop en route at uh, King Herod's palace in Jerusalem, uh, asking about this new baby king. Where else would you look for a new baby king? Uh, Herod is concerned, isn't he? he? He's concerned for his rule, his reign, his power, perhaps. Uh, but he doesn't let on to the Magi. He says, no, go and look for the baby. Uh, and when you find him, come back and tell me so I can uh, worship him too. Uh, after finding the baby Jesus in Bethlehem in a manger, uh, they worship Jesus. And the Magi are warned in a dream by God not to return to King Herod. And so immediate disaster uh, is averted. Uh, but the tiny town of Bethlehem is only about five miles from Jerusalem. So uh, it's not going to be long before Herod and his palace find out that he's been tricked by the Magi. Uh, and he's going to be after Jesus, the baby king. Uh, so verse 13, uh, on the screen or in your Bibles, uh, when they had gone, that's the Magi, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. He said, get up, he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. So that's uh, fulfillment one. Uh, carrying on with the story there, of course, Herod is furious, isn't he? Uh, and uh, he uh, puts out orders for all baby boys under the age of two to be killed. Uh, Jesus at this point was estimated to be about 12 months old, uh, after, around the time the Magi visit visited and so uh, he covers his bases and says let's just take them all out between naught and two it's a horrific act uh, the scale of it may have been actually really quite small uh, Bethlehem as I said was a tiny town uh, perhaps estimates of around 10 or 12 uh, boys would have been killed but imagine the horror of that on a small town uh, the weeping and the mourning nonetheless of those children and we get our second fulfillment, verse 17. Uh, then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. And then thirdly, uh, after Herod's death, uh, the story continues, Joseph is told again by God that it's safe to travel to return back to Israel. Uh, but en route, perhaps Joseph is concerned by the next king uh, in Judah being no more friendly than Herod was. And so in another dream, he's warned that they, instead of returning there, they're to return to, Ga or to go to Galilee and a town called Nazareth. And so our third fulfillment, verse 23 and so he went and lived in a town called Nazareth, uh, 
He, uh, so was fulfilled what was said through the prophets, and so the third fulfillment here, that he would be called a Nazarene. Now, I don't know about you, but all these, uh, this story raises a load of questions, doesn't it? Why doesn't God sort out all these problems? Why does he seemingly send Jesus and his family on a, a bit of a wild goose chase all over, the, all over that region of the world? And aside from that, how does Jesus fulfill these things that we're told he fulfills? Or, or better still, why does he need to? Uh, some of them seem less like promises that need fulfilling. They're more just sort of observations that Matthew seems to think Jesus somehow fulfills. Uh, some don't seem very relevant, and one of them doesn't even appear in the Old Testament. So that's a tricky one. How does Jesus fulfill that? And that second question, this one about fulfillment, is what we're going to spend most of our time on. But I think it's worth briefly pausing on that first question. Why is life so complicated for Jesus and his family? Uh, Jesus' early life and memories would have been one of being a refugee on the run, fleeing from persecution, travelling thousands of miles, living in foreign lands, fearing death, banished from home and culture and all things that his family knew. God is sending them warnings in dreams rather than actually sorting out the problems. What's God up to? But I wonder if that's sort of the point. And we're going we're gonna to come back to this at the end of the sermon as well when we look at the fulfillments. But here is a God who enters our world to save us. And to know that Jesus' life was not comfortable and easy is a great comfort. He was not miraculously delivered from every trial. Every prayer wasn't answered in the easiest possible way for the comfort of his life. I mean, if you think, it's hard to believe, isn't it, that the Queen, as good as she is, uh, can relate to our sort of financial or our social or, or our relational problems, given her privileges. But Jesus, well, his family's more like an Afghan refugee family fleeing than the Queen. His circumstances weren't changed. He and his family had to change around them. So we see the obedience to God despite trials and persecutions. Their life was hard and fearful, yet they chose obedience. Jesus, of course, as he grew up, uh, continues to choose perfect obedience to the Heavenly Father throughout his life. He, he knows what a hard life is like. And yet he still obeyed every time. He didn't command his heavenly angels to come and sort out King Herod. Didn't smooth the path so that life was really easy. Change the circumstances so that his life and his family were comfortable. No, he valued obedience to God and empathy with his created people above that. I mean, if we compare, not all, but most of our problems with some of the things we've seen in this uh, story so far, they're small and light compared to Jesus' problems. So he is a man we can trust, who we can follow. He's a man, he's a, from a family who has earned our ear. So as we look at the rest of this account, and so we, they obeyed nonetheless. He's come to fulfill. Well, let's listen to what he's come to fulfill. And so uh, the bulk of our sermon, as I said, we'll be looking at uh, what Jesus fulfills. So how does Jesus fulfill? 
Uh, well, the short answer is actually through a lot of this first part of Matthew, is that Jesus fulfills in every way, in every way. So let's enjoy some of the examples uh, from this passage that he fulfills. The first one, he says, Out of Egypt I called my son. Uh, and it's taken from Hosea chapter 11, verse 1, it's in, uh, on the screen. Uh, it's uh, an exact uh, copy. It says, When Is- Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt I called my son. Now in Hosea, uh, he's making reference to the Israelites being freed from slavery in Egypt. Uh, It's poetic, isn't it? Israel is the child. Uh, In other words, Israel is small and weak and vulnerable. Uh, It's grown, if if you know the Old Testament, from just one family, Jacob and his 12 sons. And God, Hosea 11 verse 1, God loved him. Isn't that nice? God loved him as a child. And God wasn't content to see his people, his child, in slavery, and so he called them out of Egypt. That's what Hosea's referring to. Uh, You might recall Moses and the plagues and the crossing of the Red Sea. They were saved. Uh, We call it the Exodus. But the question here is, how does Jesus fulfill that? What, What does that even mean? Well, uh, fulfill doesn't just have to mean that something is promised and then it is fulfilled or achieved. Uh, It can often mean that. It does often mean that uh, in the Bible and in life. But it can also mean that to fulfill something is to be the full version of something, to bring something to completeness, to what it was meant to be in the first place. Uh, Perhaps think of a, a man who has a brilliant idea for a company, sets it up, but is pretty useless at running it. It plods along and things progress, but it's, it's never what it should be. Uh, then perhaps his son takes over the business. He's got a great business mind, and the, the business just takes off. It becomes what it was always supposed to be. It's the fulfillment, despite there being no promise or, or no reason why it should be fulfilled, It becomes the fulfilment of what it was meant to be. And that's the sort of fulfilment that's going on here. It's actually the type of fulfilment we often think about when we think about who Jesus is. And so in this example, he is, if you like, the antitype of Israel, of God's people. He is the perfect example of what God desires his children to be. He is the fullness of what Israel And we should be. We think about it all the time. He's the one who lives a perfect life when we could not. He's the fulfillment of what we should be. He saves Israel and us from our sins because we could not. And so in a a very visual and real way, Jesus needed to be called out of Egypt, like Israel the nation, Israel the child, to fulfill what they were not. Jesus fulfills perfection that's our first point israel was freed from egypt but if you remember quickly grumbled and sinned jesus will come out of egypt and will never sin everything israel got wrong god's people jesus will get right israel was to be the vine uh, that bore fruit for god that bore witness to the nations and blessed them but they failed Later on in Matthew, Jesus describes himself as the true vine. He is fulfilling what Israel could not be. 
He is the one that truly bears good fruit. And he is the one who truly offers hope and life uh, to the nations. Or chapter 4 in Matthew, uh, Jesus will spend 40 days in the wilderness being tempted by Satan, echoing the 40 years uh, of trial in the wilderness for the Israelites after they came out of Egypt. The Israelites failing and receiving punishment, Jesus succeeding and overcoming every trial. Jesus is a perfect man of God. And because Jesus is perfect, he, he earns the love that God has for his children, rightly. Uh, now in Hosea, uh, Israel are called out of Egypt because God loves them, but they quickly reject his love. They, they refuse God's love. And true love has to have a sense of justice and rightness about it as well. Uh, a bit later in that same chapter in Hosea, uh, he speaks of the judgment of God, yet he still mixes it in with mercy and patience. So Hosea 11, uh, verse 10 and 11, from that same chapter that that quotes from. They will follow the Lord. He will roar like a lion. When he roars... His children will come trembling from the west. They will come from Egypt trembling like sparrows, from Assyria fluttering like doves. I will settle them in their homes, declares the Lord. Uh, the message is clear. They're undeserving of God's love, and yet he desires to show it anyway. But you can't force love on someone who refuses it, who rejects it. And that's the picture we get through the Old Testament time and time again of the Israelites refusing the love of God. But he loves them. He wants to call them. And it can't be ignored. Uh, their rejection can't be ignored eternally. But now, to fulfill the problem we've got in the Old Testament, another one, another Israel has arisen, a perfect man of God, Jesus, who is worthy of the love without fault, without rejection. And so God can love Jesus. He's, uh, 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 Jesus is one who is able to become, if you like, a refuge for all God's people. God's people can come trembling to God now in all justice and all rightness because Jesus has earned the love of God for us. He fulfills everything that went wrong in the Old Testament. And so he has to come out of Egypt. He's the lion who protects, who brings eternal love uh, from Isaiah, sorry, Hosea 11. But we also know he's the lamb of sacrifice who shed his blood on a cross, who takes the punishment, that rejection we keep giving to God on himself. He pays the price for our rebellion in the wilderness he earns us righteousness because he is the perfect man. He fulfills the coming out of Egypt and makes it right, paying the price for our rebellion. Jesus was to be the fulfillment of what Israel could not be, to become what we are not today, the perfect man who earns the love of God, that God so keenly desires to give us, and so gives us his son, Jesus, to fulfill it. Now, that's the Jesus to know, isn't it, this year? Jesus fulfills what we could not be. Jesus fulfills perfection. 
Uh, so that's some thoughts on that first fulfillment. The second one then uh, I want to say is Jesus fulfills hope. Jesus fulfills hope. Uh, that second fulfillment uh, in Matthew 2 refers to the weeping of mothers due to the slaughter of their baby boys. Uh, now, it's a completely different type of fulfillment in view here. This time it's a fulfillment of hope, as I said. So uh, this time Matthew's quoting from uh, Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 15. Uh, it's on the screen behind me. It's the same again. Uh, this is what the Lord says. A voice is heard in Ramah, mourning and great weeping. Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Now, how does this slaughter of children, because of the birth of Jesus, fulfill such a gut-wrenching Old Testament prophecy? Uh, Bethlehem is not Ramah, uh, so this has to be symbolic in some way uh, already. Uh, But the real clue is in the context of Jeremiah 31. Now, Jeremiah uh, is a long time after the Exodus, uh, where Israel were freed from Egypt. They've established themselves as a great nation uh, in Israel. But again, due to their sin, due to not being what God wanted them to be, uh, God hands them over to their enemies, and this time to the Babylonians. And give or take, the majority of Israel were exiled to Babylon, away from Jerusalem, possibly where the Magi came from, which is possibly how they knew about the star and Jesus being born. Uh, And that quoted verse, uh, verse 15 of uh, uh, Jeremiah 31, depicts the wailing of the nation as they are removed from the promised land. So everyone has gone, or the children have gone, the children of Israel have gone, and great is the weeping and the wailing. Uh, What we miss, though, um, but Matthew's original readers would not have missed, is that every other verse in Jeremiah 31 is a promise that the exile will eventually come to an end. So while this one verse speaks of the weeping and the wailing, that weeping and wailing signifies there will be a return. There is salvation to come. So let me give you a couple of examples from Jeremiah uh, 31, verse 3 and 4. The Lord appeared to us in the past saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. I will build you up again. And you, Virgin Israel, will be rebuilt. Again, you will take up your timbrels and go out to dance with the joy. Weeping is the beginning of a rescue plan. Or Jeremiah 31 verse 16, towards the end of that same chapter, just after the verses about weeping, this is what the Lord says. Restrain your voice from weeping. Weeping is a beginning, but now stop. And your eyes from tears, for your work will be rewarded, declares the Lord. They will return from the land of the enemy, So there is hope for your descendants, declares the Lord. Your children will return to their own land. The wailing comes with a promise of hope. So how does the events around Jesus fulfill this? Well, it fulfills it in a full and complete way, in that it signals that the eternal rescue of God's people, of humanity, has begun. Just as the exile wailing signalled that the return of the exiles would come, salvation was coming, so the wailing in Bethlehem signals that the eternal rescue has begun.
the perfect man of God, the earner of love from God, has come. And look, he has escaped the slaughter. He has escaped the wailing. Hear it, weep and mourn, and then stop your tears, stop your mourning, stop, stop, and know that hope is on the way. Not just a return from exile and a great nation, but a full eternal relationship with God for the rest of time. Jesus fulfills hope. It's a sign. And that is how Jesus, why Jesus fulfills it. Whatever our life looks like, whatever this year brings, however bad our sin or our rebellion against God or the times we've ignored him, perhaps our disbelief, whatever punishment or judgment we rightly deserve from God, hope has arrived. The end is signalled. The fulfilment is here. Jesus fulfills hope. He's the only place we'll find hope in this world. And then uh, finally, uh, what do we make of this final fulfillment that Jesus was a Nazarene? It, it sounds almost odd, doesn't it? After all these great Old Testament quotes, we're just told he's a Nazarene. Well, Jesus fulfills the expected unexpected is our third one. Uh, we need a little bit of context to understand what's going on here. Uh, again, the, the original readers of Matthew would have understood uh, instantly what, G, what uh, he was writing about. There's no specific Old Testament quote. Uh, we're helped in our English versions because there's no speech marks around uh, the, those verses about uh, Jesus being Nazarene, unlike there are for the other quotes, which are directly out of the Old Testament, which means that Matthew here has to be making a general point about what Jesus was expected to be in the Old Testament. Uh, now, Nazarene uh, at the time, and this is where it starts to come to, together, was used as a sort of derogatory term. Uh, in fact, the whole region of Galilee was considered to be a bit sort of backwards or, or rejected. Or uh, So let me give you a couple of examples uh, from the New Testament. Uh, John 1, verse 46, uh, can come up on the screen um, hopefully. Next one. There we go. Uh, uh, Nazareth. Can anything good come from there? Come and see, says Philip. Come and see. Or John seven fifty two. they replied, Are you from Galilee too? Look into it and you will find that a prophet does not come out of Galilee. There is no way, literally no way, they think, that God would plan to bring a Messiah, a saviour, a perfect man, out of Nazareth or Galilee. D don't be ridiculous. That's not going to happen. Or would he? Come and see, says Philip. Nazarenes were despised. They were rejected. They were ridiculed. They were ignored. They were badly treated. And now, perhaps the Old Testament has something to say to this fulfilment. Something to say about the coming Messiah. Are we expecting a great king, a great ruler, a great man who looks amazing? Or are we expecting someone who's a Nazarene, who's despised, who's rejected, who's ridiculed and who's 
scorned. Jesus would truly be a Nazarene. Psalm 22 from the Old Testament. Speaking of Jesus, the Messiah to come, but I am a worm, not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. Trust in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Remember the him on the cross. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. He was a Nazarene. Or Psalm 69, verse 8, speaking of the Messiah, I am a foreigner to my own family, a stranger to my own mother's children. He was a Nazarene. Isaiah 53, verse 3, he was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised. And we held him in low esteem. He was a Nazarene, a man of Galilee. Jesus fulfills the expected, unexpected. We we don't expect a Messiah like this. But we should have. The world is so often blind to Jesus because we dismiss his humble and chaotic and refugee status beginnings to life. We reject him coming from quiet, despised, poor towns. We we reject him being something from ancient history. He was rejected at the time and murdered on a cross. Unimpressive by any worldly standards. But there's to be no mistake, says Matthew. We're not to seek after worldly things, but after godly things. And the Old Testament is full of of promises, predictions, prophecies, anticipation that the fulfilment of all life, all hope, all perfection, all things would be through a Nazarene, a despised servant. Jesus fulfills. Uh, Don Carson, uh, a commentator, puts it like this. Uh, I think it's on the screen as well. Jesus, the Messiah, Matthew is telling us, did not introduce his kingdom with outward show or present himself with the pomp of an earthly monarch. In accordance with prophecy, he came as as the despised servant of the Lord. Jesus the Messiah, Matthew is telling us, did not introduce this kingdom with outward show or present himself with the pomp of an earthly monarch. In accordance with prophecy, he came as the despised servant of the Lord. Stop looking at circumstances, says Matthew. Stop looking at what you think as you reflect on who Jesus was. Stop looking at your own life or or the world or jobs or pomp or self-worth or family or comforts or health. None of that fulfills anything. And none of that proves or disproves who Jesus was. Perhaps that's precisely why Jesus had so little of any of that. He does fulfill all that is required. And he does it for us. He was the perfect man. He fulfills hope where there is no hope. He comes as the despised servant, died on the cross in our place, 
earned the love of God that we could not, gives us his righteousness, fulfills hope where there is none, fulfills the unexpected. He is our only hope. He is the fulfillment of all things. Come and see. Come and see this year. Come and invite others to see this Lord Jesus. Don't dismiss him. Fall at his knees. Jesus is our fulfillment. He is who we could not be so that we can be. He gives us salvation. He gives us new life. Come and see, says Matthew. Let me pray. Our Lord and Heavenly Father, we praise you for giving us yourself in the person of Jesus. Forgive us when we have rejected you, when we haven't been who you desire us to be, when we haven't put our trust and our faith in you, when we have put our trust and faith in you but not obeyed you, when we've despised our circumstances and mistrust you. We praise you that in all things, Jesus makes things right. We thank you that he is the fulfillment of what we could never be. We thank you that he earns the love that we could not earn and then gives it to us freely through his death and resurrection on the cross. We thank you that he fulfills hope where there is no hope in this world apart from in him. And we thank you that for us, He was a Nazarene, despised and rejected, scorned, killed on a cross so that he could be everything you promised, the Messiah, the Saviour, the one who gives us life eternal. May we come and see this year. May we bring our friends and our neighbours and our colleagues to come and see the Lord Jesus this year. May you reveal him to us in your word. May we live for him in joy and peace and obedience this year. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Sam. We're going to uh, sing our last song together now. It's called All Glory Be to Christ, and this is what the chorus says. All glory be to Christ our King. All glory be to Christ. His rule and reign will ever sing. All glory be to Christ. Please stand as the music begins. <laughs>